0: Welcome to this episode of Tetlink and Conversation. I'm Eddie Grant, a director at Technical Connection. During our conversations, we seek to review the topical bulletins published on Tetlink, our knowledge management tool, for all things tax, trusts, pensions, and much, much more. Today, I'm absolutely delighted to be joined by Claire Trott and Tony Wickenden, fellow Technical Connection directors. Hello, Claire. Hello, Tony. How are you?
1: Hi, Eddie. Yeah, all very well. Thank you very much. Busy week, but that's how it goes in technical connection.
2: Yeah, hi, Eddie. Yeah, all good. Same for me. I've had a really easy week, so no problem. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, we haven't got it right, Claire, have we?
1: <laughs> Clearly not. We need to make Tony work harder.
2: No, I just right. find working it's a joy, so that's why it seems easy. Really. Uh, that's brilliant to hear. <laughs> Um so uh, a week a week on since the
0: budget it's been um you know it's like a, like every budget it takes time to to read the detail and to to get a sense of what's actually been announced and published um Tony um uh, you've you've had a chance to sort of look at this as as a whole so do you want to talk about the context
2: of the budget and and the year we we we've just had yeah, i think that's a really good self and very important too because if we just concentrated on the budget the last one we had in october then we wouldn't have that much to say from a financial planning standpoint everyone knows that well they knew it pretty quickly as the team did uh, and we know it very well now but as you said eddie it's about looking at the whole year rather than this one because we have had in effect three budgets two formal budgets and one informal budget you know the one in march formal one in october formal and then we had the september informal one which probably had the greatest impact what was interesting amongst all of it is to do a bit of contextual background to, for financial planners is to think about what drives tax policy for the government it's largely it's either political so not making people too angry when it comes to voting time about the tax changes you've introduced but at the same time making tax changes that will deliver the money that you need to do what you want to do your political agenda and of course right now we have not only the need to do day-to-day management of the country, but there is this debt, isn't it? This is 2.2 trillion debt that we all know we have to do something about, although not immediately because interest rates are quite low. So that where the government's been clever over these three periods, I think that they've, can categorize the changes really into tax increases, but deferred, so not causing that much anger when you announce them. And then when they actually happen, people have almost sort of forgotten about them. Uh, and then tax freezing which on the face of it uh, also doesn't make people that angry, but uh, does an incredible job. And I, I had a look at the the Red Book published in March budget, and then I've looked at the updates issued by the OBR, Office of Budgetary Responsibility. I know everyone go oh, OBR, their forecasts are always wrong. But you have to sort of look at someone. Then you just go look the combination of the, which we'll look at in a bit more detail, of the freezings and the deferred tax increases. And so we've got freezing till the end of the 25, 26 tax year, deferred, National insurance increase, but kicking in next year, 2022. We'll talk about that a bit in a minute, I know. Corporation tax increase, deferred, but kicking in 2023. So the upshot in all of that, after that big build-up of all that is in April, 2026. The combination of the corporation tax change, the income tax freezing, the freezing of the lifetime allowance and the national insurance change and the taxation increase on dividends. So all those things happened over this period of, of the whole year. Will generate around forty-five billion pound, forty-five billion pounds extra a year. So, as sort of contextual background, I think that's sort of where we are. And some of those changes, although they didn't seem enormous to start with, I don't think will radically change. I'm sure Claire and you would agree. with So, they don't radically change the basic key tenets of principles of good financial planning. You know, around wealth accumulation, preservation, and transfer, the intergenerational bit. But like, like every time there's a change, you do need to concentrate on the change and, and nuance and refine your best practice. Otherwise, you just get, if you just, oh, it doesn't matter this year, small changes, we'll leave it. don't need to think about it. We'll just carry on saying the same thing. Then you get out of date really, really quickly. And so I think it is important that we have a, a little look at what those changes actually were and to see to what extent, if at all, we do have to change best practice. Even if it's a small refinement, they all make a difference when you add them all up, these sort of marginal gains, as it were, that you make from a little bit of extra knowledge, which I know is what we're all about at Technical Connection, helping people make those marginal gains. Now, one of the major, major parts, and Claire is now saying, see, I told you he talks too much. But one of the major, major parts of the financial plan, both in accumulation and decumulation and actually in wealth transfer, is of course, people's retirement funding and their pension planning. So I think that is the best place to start. And for me to stop talking and hand over to Claire and go, so over the year, what are the things that have changed and actually importantly, haven't changed on pensions and retirement pay?
1: Lovely. Thank you, Tony. Yeah, definitely. I mean, well, I think we'll start with that freezing. So we had uh, in, in the uh, the spring budget, we had the freezing of the lifetime allowance, freezing at 1.0731 million, that nice, easy number to remember, <laughs> um, that is now frozen until the end of 25, 26 and uh, again, you think, well, it's a frozen allowance. What's the difference? Well, actually, people are going to start tipping into that that maybe thought when they were doing their planning that they weren't going to tip over that 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 allowance. We must remember, and people probably fed up with me saying that it's an allowance. Going over it is not illegal. There's no problems with that. You will suffer a tax charge. Uh, but that tax charge is there to recoup the original tax relief that was given when the contributions were made. But it does mean people need to start thinking about that because um, without that going up, originally we were expecting to go up by CPI, then uh, then then more people are going to be hit by that, which is the whole purpose of freezing the allowance. Uh, and Tony will talk about that more. So that's the only real thing that kind of happened in the, in the spring budget. Everything was just the same as. So we had no changes to tax relief. We had no changes to the annual allowance. So all of that stayed the same, no changes to the tax-free cash. However, the freezing of the lifetime allowance does effectively freeze the maximum amount of tax-free cash people can get at 25% of the lifetime allowance, unless they've got protections, of course, from historically higher lifetime allowances. So the the spring budget was quite quiet. though. The the bit in the middle when we were looking at sort of uh, all the leakage um, that was happening prior to the budget, where the Chancellor got a telling off by the Speaker, um, then um, what we saw there was the the leakage initially um, about the, the state pension double lock. We're used to having the state pension triple lock and we, there was uh, people up in arms about getting rid of the triple lock. It is technically only for one year. Uh, we do have to remember that it was a manifesto promise. This thing isn't hard coded into legislation in the same way that some things are. So what we're seeing there is they were taking out the option to increase it by average earnings. Average earnings was quite high because average earnings was negative. The, the increasing average earnings last year was negative. So it actually went down. So with the bounce back, it would have been unfair. Uh, because obviously those pensioners who were in receipt of the state pension didn't have their pensions reduced like the average workforce uh when when the average earnings went down so we're with the we've got the double lock this year that was leaked, and that was obviously uh clearly set out when the budget came out. Um, we have got there were some things that actually happened in the budget um that we didn't know about prior to I mean however so the, the first one was the the top up for people who are low earners who are in net pay schemes for the they're the people earning below the personal allowance but are paying into a pension scheme before they pay income tax on their earnings. So basically, they're not paying any income tax because they're below the personal allowance. Uh, the money's going in, so they're straight from their salary, so they're not getting any uh, tax relief. Whereas if you were to put that into a personal pension, for example, and you get your 20% by default, so there's a discrepancy there. And there was a call for evidence, actually, back in the spring budget to, to look at that and, and decide whether what they could do to, to rectify this anomaly. And so what they have plan to do is basically give a top up directly to the individuals. Um, it's not immediate, unfortunately, and I think that's because it's going to take them a while to work out how exactly to do this. Um, so what the plan is in 2024, that you will start recording this and 2025 will be the first payments because you can't make the payments until the end of the tax year. So that was a sort of the, the biggie as such, which, is, as we know, actually isn't a huge change, but it will make a big difference to those people in those, those low earners in, in the auto enrolment schemes. There were a couple of things in there that would uh, that only sort of impact um, those people who are in the public sector schemes. Um, and again, it's not something that people necessarily have to, to worry about or do anything about. But the McLeod judgment, um, there were some technical amendments to um, the legislation around um, the, these, these schemes for the, the remedy, which is what we're looking at to, to try and get rid of this age discrimination issue. And there was some, again, technical amendments regarding scheme pays for those people who might be subject to um, basically a deferred annual allowance charge because of the the rejigging of their benefits based on this McLeod judgment. So they're they're sort of things that technically needed to be changed and have been put in there. One thing that has happened since the budget um, is there's been some some extra information about the 55 to 57 uh, change of state pension age, that state pension, change of minimum pension age, um, historically, uh, what the legislation was looking at doing was allowing people to open new schemes and transfer money in in order to get a protected pension age. Uh, that actual window has now been closed, um, and what they're looking at there's there's lots of things around it. Um, we still need to dig into the detail, and there's still detail to come on that. Uh, but basically, what they're saying is you can't now do that as of the third of November. Um, but if you had done it before then then you were still entitled to it so there's there's a few anomalies coming out and some changes um, that was released just only yesterday uh, with regards to that so in a what looked like a very quiet year for pensions there's lots of little things that might impact lots of different people Uh, so uh, and then there's some knock-on effects with some of the things tony's going to talk about with regards to some of the other taxes so over to you tony
2: yeah thanks claire um yeah, there are some, and this this is the thing we talk about quite a lot. Is that it's very it's wrong, and it's and it's it's often done though, is to sort of just put changes into silos and not consider them as a whole in relation to the financial plan. If we keep anchoring back to that, so I think it is important to consider the things as a whole. And, and when we look at the, the tax changes that have taken place in relation to income tax, you can't divorce those from pensions. And their impact on pension and retirement planning. The same with national insurance. The same with corporation tax. So there's that crossover, and it's a role I know that financial planners really take seriously. Is that taking a an holistic, overall, all asset approach to their planning? So looking at the changes that have um, that have taken place that aren't to do directly, specifically silo like with pensions. Then I mentioned I've mentioned some of them in my introductory part. But if we go to March and think right, the main changes there were freezing of the allowances, and that was what we all got to grips with. What will that mean? I mean, so that's basically freezing the personal allowance, freezing the tax thresholds, uh, freezing the CGT allowance, freezing the nil rate band, freezing the residence nil rate band, could go on lots of things, frozen basically, um, until twenty five to the end of 25, 26. So on the face of it, it doesn't do that much, but what it will do is generate another 1 million, it's a forecast, but around a million more higher rate taxpayers. And the simple point to take from that, I think, and we'll pick up on this a bit later is that, if there are more high-rate taxpayers, there are more people who are likely, it's not definitely, but likely to need financial advice. Because the, you know, the more intense the pain, the tax pain, the more likely you are to want to do something about it. Then the 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 other change that was made in March, the corporation tax change, but deferred. But that's that's quite radical. 19% to 25, that is a big jump. 19% to 25% for profits above 250,000 and it remains at 19%. I'm telling you something you already know, I'm sure. Um, and what we haven't yet, it remains at 19% for profits below 50,000. But what we haven't yet got is that sliding scale because there will be one uh, between 50 and 250,000. How do we tax those profits between 50,000 and 250,000? Well, if the past is a guide to the future, and it probably is in this case, then we'll see this sort of sliding scale of margin, an effective sliding scale by virtue of marginal relief, and what it will mean is that in effect, every pound of profit between 50,000 and 250,000 will be taxed at a rate of 26.5%. That won't be a, a hard legislative rate, but will be the effective rate, which means that if you can make tax efficient investments make contributions to pensions within that band, then you'll secure quite a high rate of tax relief, i.e. higher than the even top rate of corporation tax, which will go at 25%. So that, and that corporation tax rate is a factor that we have to take into account when how will you take money from your business? Once we've got this rate increase included, because it's one of the moving parts. And the other moving part, of course, is income tax rate and national insurance. Because the one big thing a dividend does is avoid national insurance for business owners. So taking money out by way of dividend is currently seen to be the best way, subject to, i, mean, I like to ask you, subject to that you need to keep some salary though, don't you, Claire, in relation yeah. to taking yeah. money out by dividends, but not everything.
1: No, definitely, because what you want to make sure is you're getting your national insurance credit so you're building up for your state pension at a later date. So that's why it's really important to get that right balance between those three options of extracting money from your business um, and and. I know you said dividends wins, but I do dispute, dispute that because obviously pensions always win awesome. um, when we're talking about the best ways to extract money from your business. However, you need to be able to eat. So you need to actually have something that you have immediate access to, um, even though the, the the most tax efficient way is to put it into your pension. Just remember, you can't get it till you're fifty 55 or 57 uh, when it moves up. So um, as you say, if you're looking at what we're going to take out to eat, as you say,
2: dividends are going to win on, on that one. It's a potential idea for a cookbook for you. For you Fifty ways to eat a pension. You know, quick ways <laughs> to cook a pension, basically. Um, yeah. So, so the National Insurance change was coming in. Uh, it comes in twenty twenty two, and that's going to generate actually that bit alone generates eighteen billion pounds. That National Insurance change is going to generate for the government. So that's going to be, as we know now, hypothecated, as it were, to cover national the National Health Service uh, at the NHS and social care. So it will be, and it will get a new name with the health and social care levy, but not immediately. It will just be an increase to national insurance. There's still money coming out of people's pockets. So um, so where, do, where does that have an impact? I'll look a bit later at the impact on investments when I when we close. But um, in relation to companies, then, as you've just referenced, Claire, it's one of those things you take into account. Corporation tax, national insurance. Add those two things together with income tax and, and how should you best take your money that you need to spend now, given that if it's money you don't need to spend, and you do want to take it out of the company, absolutely into a pension, because then you won't suffer any tax or national insurance uh, at the time of withdrawal. Mm-hmm. So um, where we are, we've done some some figures, the team, I won't claim credit, the team have done some figures on that, and it looks like currently, you know, before the corporation tax change, dividends mm-hmm. do win, subject to that, do take enough out to get your, your credits for benefits and deferred payments Do your pension. But then when the, the rate changes, the corporation tax rate changes, then it will remain the case uh, that dividends are better than salary. And right now they clearly are going to be with the national insurance change because we've got a one and a quarter in percent increase to employers, national insurance, class one, a one and a quarter percent employees, class one. So that's 2.5% of money that comes out by way of salary. One and a quarter percent to sort of compensate, on dividends, but one and a quarter percent, strangely, is less than two and a half percent. So it makes dividends even more attractive in that period, and it continues to be the case even when the corporation tax rate increases, save for where you are caught by the marginal rate. So, the company is paying twenty six point five percent, and you are an additional rate taxpayer. That's a sm- it could chip, just tip the balance. It looks like our figures over into a salary might even be better. Could leave you with more net money for that small group of, of people. So dividend and the impact on investment, I'll look at, as I said later, what else we've got? Actually, the main thing we had is that, um, oh, we've got the super deduction, the 130% uh, relief on money that you spend on qualifying expenditure on plant and machinery. And that, that doesn't mean you get a sort of 130% tax relief. It means that 130% of what you spend will qualify for tax relief. So if you are spending £10,000, it's as if you've spent £13,000. You still get the standard rate of corporations, actually, 19% is what it is now. And that super deduction lasts until 2023. But you get it on not £10,000, but on th- as if you'd spent £13,000, as if you've actually spent 10. So that means on the 10 you've spent, you've got almost 25% tax relief. So that's, that's not bad. And, and as a Chancellor said at the time, It's one of the biggest sort of investments the the, the country has made in encouraging investment by companies to encourage them to grow and generate more profit, which will generate more employment and more income and more income for the state, basically. Growth being one of the main ways in which we can repay debt. We can get growth going, which is a tough call, of course, going forward with everything we're experiencing in relation to the pandemic and perhaps even more so in relation to, the known impacts of of Brexit, and then as the cost of changing, climate change and all of that, that we we are going to rightly invest in. So growth is going to be really, really important, I think, to this whole debt repayment issue. Um, And the last thing I'll mention is a no change, another no change, Claire, and that is uh, an Eddie on capital taxation, which I think we can all breathe a bit of a sigh of relief on. It doesn't mean I think it's off the table. It doesn't mean we're off the hook. There are those two OTS reports that we've reported pretty extensively within TechLink um, and and deeply but nothing really has been done about those and they've been there for a while now now you could take a view well it's not been the most pressing thing and it isn't because the yields from CGT and IHT are quite low compared to the yields from National Insurance and Income Tax and Corporation Tax and that might be the main reason they haven't done anything about it if my driver is get money in then increasing IHT and increasing CGT which is more capable of being avoided that behaviors are more likely to change and it's so hooked to values which can be a bit volatile that actually do something which is going to more knowingly generate much more money that the nic change is the one that was chosen even though politically you can see on the other side of the house you know, shouldn't you be fairer and taxing taxing capital why is it taxed at half the rate of income it seems unfair you can you can see that anyone would look at that and go, it seems a bit odd but On the basis of don't upset the backbenchers, I think, on the basis, it probably isn't going to generate that much anyway. It's why it's been left. And and I think that's going to be a relief to a lot of people, certainly up to the last two budgets we've had. Should I dispose of my investment? CGT might double. Then, at least for the moment, I think that the more we have this, he's had the chance and he didn't take it, the more reassured we can get that we have some stability over capital taxation. Probably famous last words on my part. It doesn't mean take your eye off the ball. Capital tax fan is really really important inheritance tax and cgt so it's something we need to very much keep our eye on and with iht i'll just close with that point don't ever forget even though it's the lowest tax generator of the personal taxes it is according to yougov the tax that makes people most angry right um and that's i think what i wanted to say on that part of the deferred tax changes how about i mean when we look at okay there wasn't much change in relation to pensions but there are some must-do things, especially as we come towards the end of the the, the year, the calendar year, which is important for many companies, and then we will soon be into working towards the end of the tax year. So some pensions must-do best practices. Give us the wisdom, Claire.
1: I, th- I think we do need to remember we've only got five months of the tax year left. Um, and, uh, and I always remind people that getting information out of schemes and doing the calculations and, and making the decisions – now is really the time you want to start doing that for the end of the tax year. So everyone talked about, oh, you know, leave everything until the to the new year and then and then plan for the end of the tax year when you've got all the information you the, for, for the pension schemes you need last year's information and you can get that now if you haven't already got it so 6th of october would have been the date for people that would have got pension saving statements by default uh now if you request them from a pension saving statement then you the scheme has three months to, to provide that and we've only got five months of the year left so i, I would urge people to start planning that um, you know, calculations of what they can use for carry forward now rather than later, um, save, save some of us some grey hairs at the end of the tax year. So we're not all rushing around like nutters in, in the last few weeks. So that, that's one thing. So we're getting start thinking about tax year end for pensions now. Um, the other thing is, as Tony mentioned, we're coming towards the end of the calendar year. And um, the the calendar year can be uh, an accounting period end for companies, and that can actually be a good time to start thinking about company contributions, particularly to make sure that they're in the appropriate accounting period for for the corporation tax relief. So you can only take them off when they're paid, um, and they are paid within an accounting period rather than within a a tax year. But you have to remember the balance between the two, because the uh, individual that's receiving those contributions, it's allocated to tax years the corporation tax relief is allocated to accounting periods, um, so just just bearing that in mind, and actually that can be a really good planning tool to, to be able to extract profits from a business at the most appropriate time, rather than thinking I'll leave it until the end of the tax year, and then realising you've somehow missed an accounting period and, and missed that opportunity to, to reduce your corporation tax. One other thing I want to mention about planning there is, um, we've talked about the national insurance increases, and actually and people often ask me, so what's the best way to make pension contributions? Um, and if you are employed and you're doing them through your company or your employer's doing them for you, if salary sacrifice is available, that will be the best way to do it for anyone who is not on borderline for the tapered annual allowance, I have to say. There are some anomalies around that. So if you've got very high earners, then salary sacrifice can be a negative. But in most cases, salary sacrifice is the best way to make these contributions. And with that increase in national insurance next year, then you're going to benefit from that even more because it's it's that personal uh, national insurance you're definitely going to save and your employer might actually pass on some more of the savings that they're making. Um, when they split out and it becomes the separate levy, we're not quite sure what's going to happen regarding salary sacrifice there. I suspect um, it will still uh, be applied in, in the same way as a separate tax and a separate levy. So uh, we, we will wait and see on that. Uh, and just noting about that, then uh, for those people who are um, uh, over state pension age and still working um, and, and actually getting a, a, an income, they will be subject to this new levy uh, when it comes in. So uh, there, there will be people who are not used to paying national insurance, um, who are over state pension age, who will start paying national insurance. So I don't think there's anything major that people need to do differently. I just think we really urge people to start thinking about things sooner and thinking about the dates to, that are relevant to your clients uh, because they, they will have lots of different dates that mean different things to them depending on um, sort of who they are, what their business is, or if they're just making personal contributions. And, and do, do try and go down the salary sacrifice route if possible because it, it always is, is better for, for those people who, who can utilise it. Um, I think that's everything that I kind of wanted to touch on on that and I think at this point I'm going to pass over to to Eddie to talk a little bit more.
0: Yeah thanks Claire. Um, I I want to change tax slightly because obviously you've talked a lot about tax and planning. Um, One of the big areas for for us has been looking at vulnerability and uh, as many of the listeners know we have uh, always produced our planner's guide to the budget. This time we we created our, our guide, about 54 pages, and it's proven to be very popular. And obviously, you can go on and, and, and download it from, from Tetlink if you if you wish to get a copy. But what we have been doing in the last couple of budgets is is looking at vulnerability and its impact and the budget's impact on, on clients in vulnerable circumstances. Just to recap, um, if you think about vulnerability, it's not just old people, someone over the age of, of 80, 85, um, it's much much broader, and, and the FCA look at it from a health perspective, um, life events, resilience, and capability, and uh, and it's it's really important to consider the the needs of of clients, assess them on a regular basis, and ensure that your organisation is supporting clients with the right client assistance um, in an appropriate way, always bearing in mind that. Uh, that clients, uh, if you ask them if they're vulnerable, they would probably be horrified to to think they were categorised in in that sort of um, grouping. So, So sensitivity is really, really important, but ensuring you have the right client assistance. Now, one of the things about the budget that was really interesting were there are some measures, I think, that often will get overlooked by financial planners because there's this perception our clients don't take benefits and and don't need in um, any of the programs the government uh, announce. Um, but actually, in reality, if you think about uh, universal tax credit, actually the the number of people who are working and receiving uh, the tax credit is, is is really significant. And as many people will know, there was a real issue. Um, with the uh, amount of um, uh, tax credit taper that individuals were getting. So the government made a, a change where uh, really enabling f- people to keep an extra 8p in every pound that they earn. Um, and that was far higher than, than anyone expected. And, and, and often you may think, well, my client's never going to um, take uh, tax credit. Well, that may be the case, but they have family, they may have children, they may have relatives, and actually being knowledgeable, and I know, Tony, it's one of the things you always talk about is being knowledgeable, being knowledgeable about um, universal tax credit so so that you can at least have the basics and you can have a conversation with your client, not necessarily about them, but about their, their wider family. The other thing that, that was really interesting in the budget was in relation to uh, the National Skills Fund and financial education. I know a lot of planners are involved in financial education on a pro bono basis. And the government have invested quite a lot of money uh, looking at numeracy. And they've just announced a, a multiply scheme to help people with numeracy because because actually the sort of the average uh, level of numeracy in the UK adult population is much lower than it should be. Uh, we also know that in terms of reading ages as well the average reading age in the uk is about eight or nine years of of age so so actually it's so important that as as planners that we help people um become more capable so that they can take more control of their situation the other thing i thought that was really interesting in the budget was around affordable homes um the government are planning on another 180,000 affordable homes and i think one of the big topics of conversation um around the dinner table uh, for most families is how do i help my children or my grandchildren onto the housing ladder so 180,000 affordable homes um could be a really relevant topic of conversation really to understand and i think the final area for me was around um digital so whole sort of making tax digital and the use of digital because it's very easy we, we we're offering our clients um, access to online platforms all the time but you have to also ask yourself is is my client capable uh, and confident in using those platforms and how can I help them and I know when we when when you look at pensions they're moving so much into pension dashboards and and go online and get your forecast and all that sort of thing well, that's not easy for everyone. And I think we have a role to play to help people um, to get to grips with that type of of technology. And, and and the very sort of very, very final thing is around the, the national um, living wage. Um, you know, Tony mentioned the um, the investment allowance, you know we're talking to planners, many planners are running their own businesses. So it's always important to to remember that it's not just your clients, you are a client to yourself to a certain extent. And that, you you know, you're employing people as planners, and, uh, and you're investing in your business as planners. So actually, everything that we're talking about is very relevant to, to you when you're running your own business. So I think that ta- that sort of application is really important. And, and I know, Tony, you talk a lot about tax alpha in particular um do you want to sort of, sort of sum up in terms of some of the the tax alpha planning considerations that, that that a financial plan should be thinking about yeah i'd love to thanks
2: i would just say that what you've just talked about it's been a, served as a big reminder to me actually just to look at some very a lot in the team I of very left brain in terms of how we look at the budget and we're looking for the technical stuff and what's but that stuff that was in there, which on the face of it doesn't seem like it's to do with what you do as a financial planner. Those what you've just summarized there. And I'm speaking personally, as well as I'm sure for many listeners, actually, we just need to consider just looking wider because those things that don't obviously present as having a direct implication for finance and financial services actually do. And it's something and they're really, really important, especially the vulnerability point, that point on digital and assuming everyone just understands it. And what you can do for your clients in a genuine sort of service basis that you're really serving someone to help them with something that's important to them is it's really, really, really resonates with me. So, um, yeah, thank you for that, Eddie. I'll, I'll say I've got something out of this. I've got nothing out of the rest of it, Claire. Not at all. But that bit, <laughs> Eddie said. Thanks, I'm Eddie. joking. No, it's been that was a really good point. And I think everyone should have a look at the, the bulletin that I know we covered that in some detail and we'll continue to. Yeah, Alpha is something we, we talk about a lot. Advice Alpha generically. Uh, more broadly and tax alpha as a, a contributor to to that, and I think the budget just says doesn't change any of that. The importance of it remains absolutely right. you know behavioral coaching is really the most important aspect. the engagement with an advisor and what that does for you in relation to the broader subject of advice alpha when it comes to tax alpha, you know wrap a choice and then where you take your money from when you need it remains absolutely important, and it's that sort of refinement the fine tuning that's necessary I think now to from the budget of saying, do the dividend tax changes make any difference? Does the fact there'll be more higher rate taxpayers make any difference? No, not to the general principles, but it reminds us uh, and changes slightly when we get those choices to make for our clients, because that's what we're there for, I think really, making smart choices and even knowing that the choices exist. You know, know, the old, old chestnut of wrapper choice, Bonds Collective, Offshore, Onshore, has that changed in any way? No, not really. But there's a small change with the dividend allowance to think that, or the dividend tax change to go. It just makes you even more focused on making sure that you get your money into places, if it is going to generate dividends, as many equity portfolios hopefully will, then have it in a place where there's no tax on the dividends rather than it is. It's not aggressive tax avoidance, it's making use of the allowances and availability uh, sorry and the, the the homes for those money that that exist for you pensions isas obviously exa- obvious examples vcts but then don't forget don't forget that even with ordinary collective investments you know with an average footsie yield of 3.2 percent apparently at the moment then you could invest sixty five thousand pounds and have tax free dividends um within the dividend allowance very very important to have and then don't let's not also forget, because it often is, I think, the role that potentially, once you've done all the tax no-brainers that an investment bond could have for you, onshore or offshore, dependent on the circumstances for tax deferment, and then smart withdrawals. So when it comes to that withdrawal time of money, then taking money out that doesn't bear tax and leaving the money that's left in an environment that doesn't bear tax makes such a, has such a big impact on how long your capital is going to last for. Basically, you know, we're reading a lot about the 100-year life. There's a great piece in the FT last week about the investment that's being made to try and have, build something that means people have eternal life, which at times seems terrible. I mean, sometimes it seems like that when we're at the Arsenal. God, thank God I'm not in this for eternity. But, um, but that taking money out, tax, you can't let one go, especially the weekend coming up without an Arsenal reference. But just that um, taking money out, tax smart, that point of, Don't take it from your pension, I think, continues to be very firmly the case because the pension is so, so tax efficient. But if you are going to take anything from the pension, sure, you go, what about the tax free cash? And you mentioned something earlier this week I found interesting, uh, Claire, that bit about how you take a combination of money, cash and income from a pension and it's not taxable.
1: Yeah, definitely. And I think that's the thing we just need to to bear in mind that the the structure of the way that you draw down pensions since pension freedoms that came in in 2015 just uh, just means that if you have... The choice of which wrappers to take it from, um, and, and you'll talk about all the, all the other allowances. But with with a pension, you can just draw down a small amount uh, and a small bit of tax free cash, depending on the structure of the scheme and the, the scheme rules, um, of course. And you can take up basically, you know, about sixteen, just over sixteen thousand pounds, um, and have that all tax free, tax free because twenty five percent of that is tax free cash, and the residual bit is below your personal allowance. So if you haven't got any other income taxable income, then then that could be a really good way to draw that out each year and and utilise your personal allowance and then use other allowances and other um, assets to actually top up your income while protecting that pension. And we want to protect the pension for legacy because of it being so IHT friendly and actually dependent on the age at which you die, could even become entirely income tax free for your beneficiaries. So it's something to sort of protect that pension, as you say, probably use it last, but make sure you're utilising the benefits within it in the in the most appropriate way.
2: Yeah, definitely the best practice. If you can, leave pensions to the last. If you, if you can, if you've got other assets, and many clients of advisors, whether by accident, hopefully by design, if they've got an advisor, will have a range of assets that have been designed to enable them to have the most tax efficient retirement, whatever that means for them, i.e. way of withdrawing money and preserving capital for the next generation. And that point is also so important that much use word, intergenerational planning, but that just passing on wealth to the next generation and from a business standpoint, makes absolute sense for the advisor to be engaged with that next generation. In some cases, even with the the partner or spouse of the person that's their client, which often isn't the case. So um, using what's available to us to ensure that the next generation get what you would want them to have, or even creating a legacy for them through life insurance is something that we should do. And there's been no changes to that. So all of the things that we do in relation to, oh, I want to give something away, but I need to retain access to it. Can I do that? Yeah, you can with loan trusts and DGTs and even in the right circumstances, business relief type investments. And don't, as I said, don't forget the role of protection potentially for those people that have done all the planning they can or just don't want to do any planning because they feel uncomfortable with it. Even with the right advice, trusts work really, really well. But don't forget the trust registration um, aspects of that. Um, but the plans that we've known and loved for many years work really, really well together with, with protection. And my closing point on protection, I would just say I think it's an area that I feel quite passionate about the country generally is underprotected are we doing enough to protect our families and dependents, forgive the patronising tone, but just I I think the reason why is, and we've done quite a lot of research on this, is that protection falls into that important but not urgent box. And when it's not urgent, it stands a really big chance of not getting dealt with because of everything else that presents as urgent in our lives, especially with all the technology that Eddie referred to, bombarded with stuff to do. And you just do it because it hits you. And, And the stuff that is actually important that isn't urgent gets left and I think protection falls into that category so it's a dangerous one but one we need to get out there and talk about again. Brilliant Uh,
0: you know people said the budget there was very little in it Uh, obviously we've proven in the last 38 minutes there was an awful lot in the budget a lot of implications a lot of things for planners to think about so thank you so much for your time and 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 sharing your budget insights uh today Tony and Claire thank you so much um and uh and and if you uh haven't got access to Tetlink and, and the planner's guide please go to our our site tetlink.co.uk and uh and subscribe uh and and there's even a free trial for you to uh, to go in and to, to get the Planner's Guide to the Budget um, and, uh, and, and have a look round. And hopefully you'll see that there's a wealth of knowledge there at your fingertips 24-7. So thank you once again um, to everyone that's listened today. Uh, speak to you all soon. Thank you. The content of this recording is strictly for general consideration only. No action must be taken or refrained from based on the content alone. Professional advice must always be sought. Accordingly, neither Technical Connection Limited nor any of its officers, employees or contractors can take responsibility for any loss occasioned as a result of any such action or inaction.